Well, we started a series uh, a few well, a while back on having a voice, and we've looked at different aspects of the voice and different voices, and this morning is going to be a little bit maybe unusual, and I want you to turn to two different passages as a springboard into this message. First of all, Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, so the very beginning of your Bible, and then the other one toward the end of your Bible in Hebrews chapter 12. So we're going to be in, in two different passages, well actually we're going to be in several different passages because this is more a topical message than an expository or textual passage uh, or message, but anyhow, we're going to be looking at several different verses and the, the idea that I want us to see this morning is looking at the voice of blood. You say, what in the world are you talking about, preacher? Well, the Bible does talk about the voice of blood. God told Cain that his brother's blood's voice was crying unto him. We'll see that in Genesis chapter 4. And of course, in the Old Testament, God established the sacrificial system that required the shedding of blood, which is a picture of Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood. But the verse we're going to look at in Hebrews reveals to us that the blood of Christ speaks better things than that of the blood of Abel. So we're going to look at the blood of Abel and the voice of his uh, blood compared uh, briefly, but what I want us to focus on tonight, or tonight, this morning, because I know what time of day it is, is the blood of Christ and the message that it has for us. So if you are physically able, if you would please stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 4 and read verses 9 and 10. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9, after Cain had killed his brother Abel, God comes to him and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now, put a marker there or hold your place and flip now over to Hebrews chapter 12. And you should have that already. Hebrews chapter 12, and let's look at verse 24. Hebrews 12 and verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So as we look at the voice of blood, I want us to look at the, the blood of Christ and examine these three areas this morning. One, the blood of Christ gives life. The blood of Christ gives life. Second, the blood of Christ brings remission of sins. Remission of sin. The blood of Christ brings remission of sin. And then last, the blood of Christ provides redemption. And so this morning, I want us to see the voice of blood and the importance of the blood of Christ. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Father, again, Thank you for this song service that has been a wonderful praise and testament to you and your wonderful working in our lives in so many aspects. Father, now as we come to the preaching of the word, I pray that you'd remove all distractions, help us to focus on what you have for us this morning. Lord, if there's one who's never had the blood of Christ applied to their life, if they've never been born again, if they've never been saved, may they understand that there is truly life and life eternal in the blood of Christ, and may they be saved today. And Lord, as we Christians, again, are reminded of the importance 
of Jesus' shed blood, may we be reminded the importance of our faithfulness in serving you and sharing your love with others. So I pray now you're blessed to this end. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I find it interesting in the passage in Genesis that God tells Cain, your brother Abel's blood is crying from the ground to me. Crying from the ground because he was killed unjustly. His life was taken. Why? Not for anything wrong that Abel had done, but because Abel brought a better sacrifice than his brother Cain. Cain wasn't accepted, became angry, and killed his brother. And now his voice is crying from the ground. But God takes that in the book of Hebrews as he's talking about the shed blood of Jesus Christ and says in Hebrews 24, the end of the verse, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You see, the blood of Abel is speaking to the depravity of man, that we are a sinful creature, that because of of Adam's sin that plunged us into sin, that his son, Cain, killed his own brother. Is that not what the blood of Abel is crying to God? But God says the blood of Christ speaks better things. Because when one is killed unjustly, it's showing the sinfulness of man, but the blood of Christ declares these three things that we're going to examine today, that in the blood of Christ there is life, There is remission of sin, and there is redemption. That's a wonderful message through the blood of Christ, is it not? So let's look first then at the blood of Christ gives life. Now Leviticus 17.11, God said way back in the book of Leviticus, For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is the life thereof. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, Shall not eat of the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. We understand now in medical science what God told us long time ago, that if you don't have blood, you don't live. You say, well, didn't man always know that? Well, understand, as late as the 18th century, they were still letting out blood as a medical practice to try to heal people. You have too much blood in you, so we got to let a little bit of it out, and then you'll feel better. We scratch our heads today and say, huh? But remember, earlier today, we were talking about science and all the wonderful things that science knows, and this is absolutely right because science said so. Well, they tell us that they killed our first president, taking out a little bit too much blood. Oops. But it was science, by the way. But God told us many centuries before that life is in the blood. And we now understand that the blood, our physical life, we would not be alive if we didn't have blood. That blood does so many things. It obviously carries around the oxygen. When we breathe in and that air goes into our lungs, it takes out the oxygen, puts in the carbon dioxide, and sends it back out, right? And then that, that oxygen is put into the blood, and the blood carries it throughout all the body, and then the, the tissues take the oxygen and put out the carbon dioxide. But then also the nutrients we eat. When we eat, you know, there's not pieces of chicken floating around in your bloodstream. Maybe some of you, but not all of us, okay? <laughs> there's actually not coffee in your veins, although some of us think there should be. Okay, but your body takes that and pulls out the nutrients and breaks it all down and then puts it into the blood so that the 
uh, proper cells can get the nutrients they need, and there's all kinds of other things transferred through the blood, and we have been learned more and more about how important our blood is as time goes, don't we? And I'm looking at the two nurses, making sure I'm not saying anything incorrect here, because they'll give me that look like that was wrong. <laughs> so we understand God created man and all animals with blood, and, it, and the, the blood, a life is in the blood, right? We're talking physical life. But I'm glad that that doesn't stop there, that eternal life is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, remember in the introduction, I said that God established a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And so the Jews would bring to the temple, whether it be a goat or a sheep or an ox or, or a lamb or whatever the case may be, according to the type of sacrifice that was being done, they would bring the animal and they would kill the animal and the blood had to be shed. But those animals, those sacrifices had to be repeated over and over because the book of Hebrews makes it crystal clear to us that the blood of goats and bulls cannot wash away sin. It did not justify the sacrificer. It was a covering of sin. But you and I, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, can have eternal life. You see, Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. Why? Because he was not an animal as the animals were, but he was one of us. He became a man, and he, being God in the flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, thereby being able to give himself as a substitute for you and me, dying on the cross at Calvary. Jesus said in John 6, 53 and 54, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... Ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Now, it's not talking about literally eating the flesh of Jesus and literally drinking the blood of Christ. You say, how do you know that? Okay, here's some basic Bible interpretation. The Bible's never going to contradict itself, right? Did we not read in the Levitical law that they were not to eat blood? Was Jesus a Jew? Yes. Was he, was, did he fulfill the law? Yes. So he would not command us to do something that would be contradiction to the word of God, right? It's not literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. You say, why, do you, why are you even harping on that? Because understand something. Roman Catholicism teaches that when the priest puts his blessing on the elements, that they actually become the real body and real blood of Jesus Christ. We do not teach that. They're elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But it's showing that he gave his life a sacrifice that we could live. It's symbolic of partaking in his gift of salvation that he provides. And, and the only way of providing salvation was the death on the cross at Calvary. So his broken body and his shed blood was the means of our salvation. And we have to partake of that in a spiritual way, if you will, through the sacrifice that he gave, we have to put our faith and trust in his finished work in order to have eternal life. Because the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto the gospel which I preach unto you, which ye have also received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died 
for our sins according to scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the blood of Christ gives life and life eternal. You see, it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you and I can know that we have eternal life. That's a good message from the voice of the blood of Christ, is it not? But you know also, through the blood of Christ, we have the remission of sins. Remission, that's not a word we use too much in modern day English. It has the idea of forgiveness or the cancellation. You see, because you and I are born sinners, we're born with the sin nature separated from God. Every one of us knows that we sin, right? Sin is transgression against God's law. Every one of us in this room, I believe, if we're honest with ourselves, would say, yes, we have broken God's law. And so if I have sinned, then what is the wages of sin? The Bible makes it clear the wages of sin is death. I deserve to die. I deserve to be separated from God because of my sin. And there's nothing I can do good enough to save myself. Many think, well, I'll just, I'll just do some good works. I'll try to be a good person. I'll earn my way to God. But God says all your righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing we can do good enough to save ourselves. The Bible also says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins in Hebrews 9.22. So there had to be a shedding of blood. Now, again, going back to the Old Testament sacrifices, when those, sac uh, those doing the sacrifice to bring the animal, it was a covering of sin, but it wasn't a washing away of sin. But I am glad that the blood of Christ doesn't just cover sin, but it washes it, as the book of Psalms says, as far as the east is from the west. And I love that illustration, and you've heard me say this many times, but if it were the, as far as the north is from the south, if I were to walk on our planet north, I'm eventually going to go to where there's this candy cane stripe, and it's going to say North Pole, right? So they tell me. And when I get there, no matter which direction I go, I am now heading south, because that is the limit of north. And if I were to go to the South Pole, I'd eventually get to a place where all the penguins live, and they would be no longer able to go south, but I would have to go north from that point. So God didn't say he removed our sins as far as north is from south, but he said as far as east is from west, because if I go east, I can keep going east and keep going east and never run out of east. And if I go west, I can keep going west and I can never run out of west. They're infinitely separated. That is how far God has removed my sin from me. Isn't that a wonderful Christian? Never to be remembered again. That's what he means by the remission of sin, and that was only possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So the blood of Christ speaks of remission of sin, or the forgiveness, the cancellation of sin. Therefore, Christian, if you and I have been forgiven of sin then why do we act like we should carry around the guilt of our sin? You see, I know in, in, in our lives, many times Satan tries to bring up the past and say, but remember you did this. We need to remind him it's forgiven. It's under the blood. As I mentioned earlier, the blood of goats and bulls could not remove sin. You're here in Hebrews 12, or should be. If you just flip back a few pages, let's go back to chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 
Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the, the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast made no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I am come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin would thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Isn't that wonderful? The sacrifices of blood, uh, goats and bulls had to be continued over and over because it could not wash away sin, but the perfect blood of Jesus Christ, once for all, sufficient for all, a one-time sacrifice, washes away our sin. His sacrifice was sufficient for the whole world. 1 John 2.2 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation has the idea of satisfaction. So you can read it this way. He is the satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Not for my sins only, but for all of our sins. That one sacrifice that Jesus Christ made is sufficient to wash away all sins. But remember, it's appropriated by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean the whole world automatically has their sins forgiven. It doesn't mean the whole world automatically has eternal life. It's available for all, but only appropriated by those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then I am able to stand before you and say, I know I have eternal life. I know I, my sins are forgiven not because of my own merits, not because of anything I've done or anything I deserve, but because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That blood speaks much better things than the blood of Abel. Ephesians, Paul tells us, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. But as I said, it is available to all. Peter reminds us, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the blood of Christ gives life, the blood of Christ brings remission of sin. And then lastly, I want us to see the blood of Christ provides redemption. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I know I have you turning quite a bit in scriptures today, but I want you to see these different aspects, the different ways in which the blood of Christ speaks better than the blood of Abel. Remember, the blood of Abel cried to God of the sinfulness of man, the injustice done to him being killed by his brother for doing right. But it is so much better, the blood of Christ, that says, I offer to you eternal life. 
I offer to you the remission of sin, and I offer to you redemption. Now, what is redemption? Webster defines redemption as ransom, delivered from bondage, distress, penalty, liability, or from the possession of another by paying an equivalent. Okay, so if I go and I take something to the pawn shop, okay, I take my item to the pawn shop. Let's say I have a table saw. I take it to the pawn shop, right? And they say, okay, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars for your table saw. But when you come back to redeem your table saw, you're going to have to give that amount of money plus whatever, right? So if I want to buy back my table saw, I got to take the money that we agreed upon to the pawn shop and give them that money, and then I can redeem or buy back the item that I had pawned, right? Okay, that's one way in which redemption works. So what does it mean then that you and I are redeemed because did not God create all of us and then in that aspect, are we not all the children of God? The answer is yes, he is our creator, but we broke that relationship because we are sinners. Is that correct? Because we are separated from God because of our sin. So when I am born, I am, I, I am a child of the devil, if you will, right? Because I'm bound to sin. When I was born, I was born a sinner, right? My parents didn't teach me how to lie, ste- cheat. Yeah, I can speak. My parents didn't teach me all those bad things. Didn't treat, teach me to drink, smoke, or chew, or run around with women who do. But I learned those things. Why? Because I'm a sinner. So, yes, God owns me in the fact that he created me. That is a true statement. But I broke that relationship with God by being a sinner. Therefore, he had to buy me back. He had to redeem me. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the perfect sacrifice to die on the cross of Calvary to pay for my sin so that he could buy me back. And once I put my faith and trust in him, I am owned twice because he created me, but now he saved me. He redeemed me. He is my Lord and Savior. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So the theological definition of redemption is this. The divine act by which Jesus Christ paid the whole demand of the law against the sinner, setting him free from the curse and bondage of the law forever. Isn't that wonderful? He paid the whole demand of the law. I couldn't keep the law. I've already broken the law. I've already lied. I've already stolen. I've already dishonored my parents. I've already taken the name of God in vain. I've done all these things against God. I've broken his law, but Jesus Christ met the demands of the law, and he offered himself a sacrifice, setting me free from the curse and the bondage of the law. Hallelujah. So let's look at some application then. We're free from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Let me remind you something. While salvation is free, 
It's a free gift from God. It wasn't cheap. It cost Jesus Christ his own blood on the cross at Calvary. He became my sin. My sin was placed on the Holy Son of God as he hung on that cross so that I could have his righteousness placed on me. Not only are we free from the curse of the law, but we're free from the law itself. Ephesians, or Galatians 4, 5, to redeem them that were under the law that they might receive the adoption of sons. Aren't you glad that the blood of Christ is sufficient, that we didn't have to bring in a sheep or a goat or a bull today to sacrifice those animals? That it is once and done, once for all? That we're freed from the bondage of the law? And we're also freed from the bondage of sin. Romans 6.14, For the sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Christian, you and I, by default, before we were saved, would default to sin. Now, I am freed from that bondage. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm freed from that. I'm free in Jesus Christ. By the way, that is why we call this Freedom Baptist Church, because we want under people to understand true freedom in Jesus Christ. Freedom from the bondage of sin, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son make you free, ye shall be free indeed. But let's look here, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, my redemption could not be purchased with corruptible things. Gold and silver are susceptible to decay and will not buy redemption. We sing a song says, nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption. Another song asked the question, if gold bought redemption, how much would it take? We can be deceived by gold and silver. Hope Brother Ed doesn't mind, but he was telling me about a ring he found. And he took it to the jeweler, hoping that it had some value to it. And it was neither gold nor silver and had no value. But you know, even if it were gold... It wouldn't help his eternal state, would it? The Bible tells us in heaven that they paved the streets with gold. Yet people think, well, if I give to God, if I just had give this money, God's going to be happy with it. Gold and silver can't buy your redemption. The corruptible things of this world are not going to buy redemption. You're not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. The empty manner of life that you used to live. You're not redeemed by it from that. Now remember, the vain conversation received from your fathers, Paul's, or Peter, rather, is talking about a lot of Jews thought, well, you know, I'm a Jew. I'm God, one of God's chosen. And so they thought that they had this little corner on God, if you will, that, you know, God's going to let me in because I'm one of his. I mean, after all, he loved us enough. He picked us out of the whole world, right? He's saying, you know what? The corruptible things aren't going to redeem you from that vain, that empty manner of life. But you're redeemed rather, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. The word precious has the idea of great worth. Greater value than silver and gold because it's the very blood of the Son of God. 
non-corruptible as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. As of a lamb, as the Old Testament lamb for the Passover, which were taken into the house on the 10th day, it had to be a lamb of the first year, a male without blemish, without spot, had to be the best lamb that they had. I heard that illustration a long time ago, and that introduction to an illustration means I don't remember where I heard this, can't verify it, but I know I heard it. That there was a missionary who was in a pagan country, and this mama had two children, and one was very sickly and weak, and probably was not going to make it. And the other was a very strong, healthy baby. And in their pagan culture, they believed that they had to offer one of their children to their pagan god. And as she's bringing the child to sacrifice it, the missionary realized she had grabbed a healthy child. And he's trying to convince her, if you must do this, why give up the healthy one? Give up the one that's sickly and probably not going to live anyhow. I'm trying to convince her that, what are you trying to do? He didn't want her to sacrifice any, but he couldn't convince her not to. So he's trying to at least save the healthy baby. And she said, my God demands the best. Now I'm thankful our God does not demand child sacrifice, aren't you? But you know, he still demands the best. And he gave his best to us and giving, him, giving us his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, God himself, taking upon him the form of man in order to die for sinful man. God gave his best for us. Then Christian, that should motivate us to give our best for him. That should motivate us to give our all to him because he gave his all for us. A lamb without blemish, faultless, without spot, no defect, pure, unstained. Jesus Christ willingly shed his blood for your redemption. If you're here this morning, the good news of this message is that the blood of Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel. It speaks of life and life eternal. It speaks of the remission of sins. It speaks of redemption. But I have wonderful news for you. All three of those can happen in a moment that we call the moment of salvation. All three of those happen when an individual realizes their sinfulness before a holy God, realizes that there's nothing they can do to save themselves. They realize that Jesus Christ has already paid for salvation through his death on the cross at Calvary, and that it's through his shed blood that they can have eternal life, that they can have remission of sins, that they can be redeemed. And as soon as an individual puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, all three of those transactions happen instantaneously. That's great news. And if you're here today and are not sure if you have eternal life, if you're still living in your sins and have never had your sins forgiven, if you've not been redeemed by God, then friend, you can do so today. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation and we'd be glad to take a Bible and show you from the Word of God that these things are so. That it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you can be redeemed. 
That relationship that's been broken with God can be reestablished. You can become a child of God. You can be adopted into his family. You can have eternal life and you can know your sins are forgiven and you can walk out of here shouting, hallelujah, I'm a child of God. Now, for the child of God, let's remember, that's what the blood of Christ did for us. But we had to hear the voice of the blood of Christ through somebody telling us what the blood of Christ has to say. In other words, somebody had to share the gospel with me. Somebody had to love me enough and take the time to say, let me tell you, Jesus Christ's blood offers eternal life. It's through the blood of Christ that you can have the forgiveness of sin. It's through the blood of Christ that you can have redemption. And somebody had to love me enough to take the time to show me from the Bible how I could become a child of God, how I could be saved. And there is a lost and dying world around us who is in desperate need of hearing this message and having us take it to them because we're the only ones who will take it to them. And we need to commit to say, our time is short. Lord, make me a faithful witness telling others, that what the blood of Christ speaks is so much greater than what the blood of Abel spoke. Let's bow for a word of prayer.